0: The Prima Years, session number 279. Hello and welcome to the three-time Academy Award-nominated podcast, The Prima Years, where we believe that collaboration, not competition, is key to your success. I am your host, Dr. Ryan Gray, and in this podcast, we share with you stories, encouragement, and information that you need to know to help guide you on your path to becoming a physician. A welcome to the Pre Med Years podcast. I'm excited for you to be here this week. Before I jump in, if you're listening to this on March 28th, 29th, 30th, or 31st, and you are interested in working with me for your personal statements, your essays, your extracurriculars, if you want me to help you edit those, you can say 15% now. It's the first time I've ever had a sale on my services. You can say 15% using the code MAR2018, all capital letters, MAR2018. If you go to medicalschoolhq.net, click on the services and then personal statement and EC editing. This week, I have a great discussion with an emergency medicine physician here in the Colorado area, somebody who helps run the wilderness medicine program at the University of Colorado. Now, you may remember I had... Dr. Todd Miner on from the Wilderness Medicine Program earlier, back in episode 202, talking about the program. Now I have Dr. Elaine Reno on. Now, Dr. Elaine Reno is an emergency medicine physician. Dr. Todd Miner is not a physician. He's just one of those other kind of doctors. But Dr. Elaine Reno actually is the medical side of the Wilderness Medicine Program, and we talk about her journey into medicine, what she's learned. She's been on residency admissions committees. So we talk about some admissions stuff as well. And then we talk about wilderness medicine and what you should be doing as a student. And if you're in the Colorado area, I know there's a bunch of you that listen to this podcast in the area. They are looking to give scholarships to you, to students who are in the area. They they try to preferentially give scholarships to Colorado students. So if you're in the area, reach out to the Wilderness Medicine Program at the University of Colorado. It's now run through the University of Colorado Boulder, the undergrad program, so you actually get credit for it. It's an elective credit for your university, possibly. So lots of fun stuff. We talk all about it in the podcast. So let's go and jump right in. Elaine, welcome to the pre years. Thanks for joining me. Thanks for having me on. When did you realize that being a physician was what you wanted to do in your life?
1: So um, I finished my undergrad. I was working in a research lab and I was sort of debating uh, what I wanted to do next. And I was debating MD versus PhD. Um, And part of my job in the research lab was um, to consent patients. We were doing this Um, study where I would get primary tumor samples from the operating room and I would go and I would consent patients um, to, you know, let us use their tumor samples um, and talk to them kind of about what we were going to do with them. And I, I just realized that my favorite part of my job was not sort of the day-to-day bench research or um, even the things we were learning from, you know, the research we were doing, but having those conversations with the families and getting to meet the patients and you know, getting to sit with them pre-op when they were nervous and um, talk to them. And I felt like if my favorite part of my job is the human interaction, then the thing I should do is um, pursue medical school rather than getting a PhD.
0: How far removed from undergrad were you at that point?
1: Um, so I was at least a year out. I did two years of um, basic science research before I went um, to medical school.
0: What what do you think caused you to not realize you wanted to be a physician during undergrad or even before undergrad? What, what, what did you think you were going to do when you were in undergrad?
1: So, um, that's a good question. When I was in undergrad, I think I really had no idea. I mean, so I went into undergrad. Um, I'd taken a lot of advanced placement classes in high school. And so I had, um, a bunch of credits going in. I started as an art major and then I, Um, I switched to molecular genetics and I was still doing some of the art stuff. And I I really had no idea. And I don't think I had any idea what I was going to do with my degree. Um, I grew up in, you know, kind of a small town and I didn't know a lot of doctors and I didn't know anyone who'd ever gone to medical school. But, you know, the plan growing up was always like, you're going to go to college. And so I went to college because that's what I was supposed to do. And then, you know, I think if I'd been more talented, I would have like pursued being a professional artist, but I was not remotely talented enough to do it. And so I just sort of got an undergrad degree and then was like, Okay, now what? So
0: You are an art major and you're like, Ah, what's this molecular genetic what is it molecular? What well, what did you mean? So-
1: Molecular genetics was my final genetics. undergrad major. How yeah, how do, how do think, you go from art
0: to molecular genetics?
1: So I liked science. <laughs> um, I always liked science and I liked biology. And I liked art because it was creative. And I, I don't know, I just sort of took things that interested me in college. And that's what I landed on.
0: Yeah. Well, you leave college. You were never, quote unquote, pre-med. And you finally figured out at some point after all this clinical research you're you're interacting with patients. what do you think it was about the patients that interested you in that and and why the thought of physician from just interacting with patients
1: so I think that's a good question so um when I left undergrad i I didn't have any idea what I was going to do with myself, and so this is totally random and um, for all the students listening, like no matter how far you kind of get off whatever the traditional pre-med class is, like you will not get as far off as I got because what I did when I graduated was had no plan um, and no job and my parents were like, you're done with school, you're an adult, you can support yourself, what are you going <laughs> to do? And I was like, actually, I have no idea. Um And so my sister had just finished vet school and she was moving to a town called Laughlin, Nevada, which is like, you know, on the river, like an hour outside of Las Vegas in the middle of nowhere. And she was like, well, if you come with me, I'll pay your rent. You can live with me for rent free if you help me drive my car and my stuff out to Laughlin, Nevada. So that was like (laughs) the best offer. (laughs) Yeah, the best offer I had at the time. And I was like, this is awesome. I'm moving to Laughlin, Nevada. So I got to Laughlin, Nevada And it's like a casino town for retirees and there's like nothing to do and no job so after like you know hanging out on my sister's couch in the middle of the desert in the summer (laughs) my sister was like are you gonna do anything and i was like "Mm, probably not actually (laughs) and she's like that's that's not what i meant my question was what are you gonna do so so she was like you need to get a job and i was like okay that's reasonable so there were no jobs Except um, cocktail waitressing. So I became a cocktail waitress in a casino in uh, Laughlin, Nevada called the Riverside Casino. And I was, like, doing this job. And so first it's sort of where cocktail waitresses, I feel like, go to die. Like, at some age, Vegas stops hiring you because you're too old. And I think that age is, like, about 30. (laughs) Um, And so everyone sort of retires in cocktail waitressing land to Laughlin, Nevada. So I was like, this is not a long-term job prospect for me and so I was trying to figure out what I could do with my um, undergraduate degree and I'd done undergraduate research um, as a summer job and I liked it so I was my two criteria were like one I wanted to live somewhere where I could ski Um, and two I wanted a job that didn't involve me wearing a corset and shiny tights to work and so I was like looking online for jobs that fit those cr- two criteria, and so I found a research job at the University of Colorado as what's called a professional research assistant. And so I, I applied for that, and then I flew out and I got the job, and that's kind of where I started.
0: Wow, from from cocktail waitress to research research assistant in Colorado—that's a that is a journey. When yes. when you finally decided to make that switch and go, you know what? I, I think I want to be a doctor. What went through your mind at that point as far as trying to figure it all out?
1: I think, I mean, I sort of like mold over the decision for a year because, I you know, I liked the research I was doing. Um, I realized, um, you know, to, to like progress in this, to have a career, to get my own grant funding, I was going to have to obtain some, Graduate level education, and there were PhDs working in the lab, and there were MDs working in the lab, um, and there were MDs who had clinical practices and had labs. Um, and to me, that that seemed like kind of the best of both worlds because they could obtain grant funding, they could do research, um, but they also had these clinical practices and they could go and take care of patients and help them. Um, and so that that sort of dichotomy of work started to appeal to me, and that's when. I considered, you know, okay, I think I'm going to apply to med school. And I, I was working full time. You know, I couldn't, like, take a summer out to study for the MCAT. Um, so I just bought the books and studied in the evening um, for, like, a year and then took the MCAT. How did that go? It went fine. Yeah. So I'd been at chemistry TA, which I think helped. Ooh,
0: yeah, yeah, that, that definitely will help you. What was the hardest part about med school for you after... Being a cocktail waitress, I'm, I'm sure those skills probably weren't the most transferable. When you yeah, got, when you got to med school, what was that like for you?
1: So I think the hardest part of med school is, I mean, that's a good question. So for me, I felt like I had to always be studying. It was really hard for me to be like, you know, I should take time to like spend time with my family or, you know, take this take time to exercise every day. And I think wellness is actually really important and all those extra hours I put like memorizing things in the book um, probably did not improve my ability to practice as a physician. And I should have focused more on, you know, wellness and um, it just felt like any time I wasn't studying, I should be studying. And I, I struggle with that a lot in med school. And I also think med school is really isolating because a lot of the first two years is really, just classical textbook or lecture learning, which is, you know, starting to improve and starting to change. But it's hard to see how this biochemistry you're memorizing is really going to be applicable to taking care of a patient one day. And I, you know, the background and the fundamentals are really important, but I think that the process is um, changing and evolving, but the process when I did it was much more the first two years are like you go to lecture, you go to anatomy lab, um, you memorize the stuff, you take a test, you do it again, you do it again, you do it again. again. Yeah,
0: yeah. This, this was pre-problem-based learning that Colorado has now.
1: Yeah, so I went to med school in Ohio. Okay. Um, and I don't know if they have, they were starting to do PBL, but it was still a very traditional curriculum.
0: Yeah, yeah, I think PBL is, is kind of taking over the country with, with schools, adopting it, whether or not students are, are okay with that, um, you kind of have to be.
1: I mean that's much more, you know, that's much more how medicine is practiced. Like you don't, yeah. Like I don't sit in front of a textbook and memorize things. Like the practice of medicine is much more problem-based learning than, um, than a lecture format, obviously.
0: Yeah. When you came out uh, and decided to do emergency medicine. What what was it that drew you to that um, a, after being a molecular geneticist? I mean, there's there's like genetics that you can go into um, and, and other fields that may be more related to your undergrad. What, what was it about emergency medicine that you liked?
1: So I was one of those people who during the third year rotations, I just liked everything. Like when I was on labor and delivery, I wanted to be, you know, an OB when I was... You know, in some clinic, I wanted to do that. Um, But when it sort of boiled down to it, people talk about the first decision you make is surgeon or not surgeon. And I thought I would love the operating room and really want to be a surgeon. But actually, I discovered I really don't like the operating room Um, and I'm I'm the wrong person to be a surgeon. And I figured that out about myself really quick. Um, mainly because we were in these like 12 hour cases and everyone else was like so enthralled and so excited. And I was like, you know, I have to pee. I'm ready for a <laughs> snack. My feet are starting to hurt. And, it, um, and so I realized I, I should not be a surgeon. Um, and so then I was, I was looking at, do I like outpatient medicine? Do I like inpatient medicine? Um, and I, I liked hospital based medicine and then I liked kind of the, um, the lure of the ER that, Everything is different. Everything, you know, things are always changing. Something new is always coming in. There's always things to learn. You know, sometimes it's really busy and fast paced. Sometimes it's a little bit slower and you can take more time. I think I just liked how different it was every day. And I'm um, kind of the pace of the work.
0: You got involved in admissions for residency, for emergency medicine, for your residency mm-hmm. program. What do you think learn what what did you learn as part of the admissions team for your residency program that you think premeds should know about at this stage in their life?
1: So i think something i realized um, was so you know i i did interviews um and i remember being uh i remember being a pre med and going to my med school interviews and being a resident or being a med student and doing residency interviews and i was always like super nervous, I, I would get real quiet. Um, I'd get like real introverted. And I, I feel like I would just be in my head like too much during the interview. And one thing I learned when I'm interviewing these people is, you know, there are certain characteristics we're always looking for, which are probably pretty common, right? You're looking for people with good communication skills, you're looking for people with good work ethic. You're looking for people who are intellectually curious and want to learn. Um, kind of the you know, the same thing that makes a good doctor, um, probably my guess is across most, um, fields of medicine and what makes a good medical student. I think one thing is to like, when you're in those interview settings, like you, you just need to relax. You know what I mean? This person isn't like, you know, micro analyzing every single word you say, they're just trying to figure out if you're sort of a normal person. And, Mm -hmm. um, and if you're someone that they feel like can sit and talk to patients and things like that, because they already know so much data about you, right? Like they know you're applying to med school. They know your MCAT scores. They know your undergrad. They know your um, GPA. They know your science GPA. They know, you know, all of your extracurriculars. They they sort of know already, like, are you a hard worker? Or, you know, are you intelligent? Things like that. I think in the interview um, they're you're just sort of looking to make sure that this person is you know nice and normal and can communicate and um and less about you trying to like sell yourself on the interview if that makes sense and more about you just kind of making a connection with that person.
0: Yeah. The the coffee shop conversation that I I like to call it. Just have a conversation.
1: Yeah. I mean I I honestly think my probably one of my best residency interviews like instead of talking about anything related to medicine So I lived in Ohio during med school and my parents had a farm and I was like always growing vegetables on their farm um, to excess. Like I would always be bringing tomatoes um, to the hospital to share with everyone because we didn't know what to do with them. Um, And I I think one of my best residency interviews, we like literally sat down and we talked about gardening and like our, you know, mutual pain and trying to grow strawberries. It was like totally unrelated (laughs) to medicine at all. Um, But it was probably one of the best you know what i mean conversations i yeah. had
0: yeah i i think so. when when i talk to students i i try to let them know as you were saying how well can you communicate that that person interviewing you especially for for medical school interviews a person interview interviewing you is picturing you like can can i see this student sitting in front of me communicating with my mom in the hospital with my dad in the hospital can i see them Telling my mom that she has cancer, telling my dad that whatever, right? Um, and, and they're trying to put you in that situation. And if you're just trying to sit there going, I'm amazing. I do this. I do that. I'm awesome. It's kind of hard to do that.
1: Yeah, It's just off-putting. It's very so.
0: off-putting. We, when we met, uh, we, we hung out a little bit at at the med school campus f- for a little bit. And we were talking about personal statements. And... There was one very specific thing that you said when you were like, I hate when students put this in a personal statement. Do you remember what that conversation was?
1: Um, Was it, I mean, I think the thing I dislike the most in personal statements is when people talk about like, like they try and tell you what it is to be (laughs) a doctor or what it is. Is that what I said? Yeah,
0: that is exactly it. Why, Why is that? Because I tell students that all the time. I'm like, you're telling a who likely is going to be a physician who's reading your personal statement, what it's like to be a doctor. Why, why do you think that's so off-putting for most people that are going to read the the personal statement?
1: So, you know, I read a lot of actually our scribe personal statements and I, um, you know, I do the like wilderness pre-med course. And so, um, so like when I go to Costa Rica with the students for those two weeks, I actually sit down w- with each one of them in the evening and review, like read their personal statement and then make them rewrite it. Um, Uh, Like on a one on one session. And I think the thing is that so for someone who's like never gone through the training and never experienced what it likes, what it feels like to be a physician, like to have them sort of talk about it's like the generic statements like doctors are nice and doctors are kind and doctors are altruistic. And and on some level, you're sort of like you have no idea what you're talking about. And for our students, I say, like, you really know what it feels like to be a doctor when all of your pages are going off. Um, one of your patients is really sick. You're not quite sure what to do next. Mm. And you're, you know, you're like trying to manage all those things. And you're, you're internally feeling like, am I good enough? Am I capable? Like, am I competent? Like, and, you yeah. know, and um, am I going to make a mistake that has the ability to harm someone else? That That is like when you really feel like a yeah. doctor, I feel like as an intern, not when you get your white coat or you're gifted mm-hmm. with your first pager or, you know, you like, paying your diploma or get your first student loan bill. Like that's when you're, when you're really wondering, like when you really realize that the choices you make have the ability to, you know, influence the rest of someone's life. And if you make the wrong choice, you know, you can have a profound negative impact on another human being. And I think that's when you, when it really sinks in, like, what have I done?
0: Yeah. And you're doing all that while you're hungry, working uh, on your 20th hour for your shift and your significant other and kid are at home wondering why you aren't home yet.
1: Yeah, that's exactly it.
0: It's very hard. And so while, while you've gone to
1: Walmart and bought (laughs) socks because you haven't washed any in two months (laughs) and you finally run out of clean ones.
0: Or you just wear the patient socks. (laughs) Those things with the little grippies on the bottom.
1: Yeah. Everyone can tell though, if you're wearing the patient socks because they come in funny colors. (laughs)
0: Yeah. And, and that's, that's it. Like, Students can get some sort of appreciation from shadowing, from scribing, from doing all of that. But until all the pressure is on you, you have no idea.
1: Yeah, that's what I think too. Yeah.
0: So so let's talk about wilderness medicine. You You've been working as an emergency medicine physician at University of Colorado. Where did this wilderness medicine... Um, kind of interest come from?
1: So I've always liked the outdoors. Um, and then I think, you know, there's a big wilderness medicine group um, at the University of Colorado uh, that's doing a lot of really interesting stuff, like teaching continuing medical education with the ski patrol, um, things like that. And so I, I was drawn to it based on kind of loving the outdoors, loving to ski, loving to be in the backcountry and into the woods. Um, And then there was a Ph.D. who's been on the podcast before, Dr. Miner, and he um, is a Ph.D. educator, um, primarily in wilderness medicine. And he was starting a course for undergraduates, which we run the course through CU Boulder now and the students get elective credit. Um, But he was starting this course for undergraduates to the idea and the basis was to get, um, you know, so you spend all this time like in your pre-med years, like, I don't know, learning biochemistry and molecular genetics and all these things that are so profoundly um, unapplicable to like treating the person with a broken bone in front of you, if that makes sense. Mm -hmm. And so the the idea was twofold. The first was to get clinical knowledge and experience into students younger. So if they're, you know, in um, a backcountry ski accident, they know how to splint um, an extremity and how to Clear a C spine and how to you know manage a patient until they're able to get them to definitive care, or they know how to clean and dress a wound in a field setting. So getting clinical, you know, clinical knowledge to students much younger and getting them true medical experience much younger, first. And the second was, um, you know, you're doing like awesome work, and I wish this podcast had existed when you know 15 years ago when I was in these students' shoes. But a lot of students don't have a great access to like mentorship to um, to, you know, advisors to figuring out how to navigate this process and if this is what they want to do. So we developed this class um, that kind of combines those two things and it's two weeks and they f- spend the first week on campus um, and they like shadow in the emergency department. They ride along uh, with the, on the ambulances for the EMS calls. They meet like, you know, you come and talk. They meet career counselors and. Um, They meet um, admissions counselors. They do sort of an overview of um, uh, sort of basic um, what we call wilderness medicine, but sort of how um, to think about patients and how to work up patients. Um, They do a bunch of procedure labs like ultrasound, suturing, wound care, um, cardiac dissection, things like that. And then in the second week, they go up into the mountains and they put all these skills together and learn how to... You know, like take care of a patient in a field setting, how to work in a team to do search and rescue, how to do patient evacuations. And so since since I felt like when I was, you know, in these students' shoes, I had like no direction and no idea of what I wanted to do and no idea how to navigate it, I think it really appealed to me to to create that framework for them um, and allow them uh, to sort of explore this career in a in a setting where they get elective credit for it, right? Like I took art history and like, you know, intro to drawing and, and all these like elective courses that, that in no way helped me at all at this point in my life, if that makes sense. Like Mm -hmm. now I can tell you about light in Renaissance paintings, but honestly, that's sort (laughs) of a useless skill. And so I wanted to create like an elective um, curriculum for them that could actually help them. So
0: you mentioned elective credit. Is, is that something where a student who may be interested in doing this has to go to their school and make sure that it transfers over? Or is this something that anybody can go do and it just is another kind of school that shows up on a transcript somewhere?
1: Yeah, so that's a great question. So um, we've had students um, from all over the country take the course, I mean, from every state, except I think Alaska. We've never had a student from Alaska. But we've had students from all over the country come and take the class Um, We offer scholarships for it Um, if they want elective credit for it, um, which a lot of them do um, because, you know, they're completing the coursework. uh, Then we either give them elective credit through CU Boulder or um, I've sent the curriculum along with information to um, schools before and they've gotten elective credit through their own schools. So we tend to work with each student. But um, we've had students from all over the country do it. So.
0: Very cool. And is it just offered? You mentioned Costa Rica, so it's not just offered in Denver.
1: So it's offered. We do um, a version twice in the summer and once in the winter um, in Colorado. And, at, you know, in the winter we focus more on, like, they build snow caves and they're given the opportunity to actually sleep in their snow cave. They go <laughs> snowshoeing. Um, all of them end up wanting to sleep in the snow cave. It's actually pretty cool. Um, in the summer they go backpacking and then we take a version of the course um, and we take it to Costa Rica and they, we stay in an eco lodge, like um, uh, in a nature preserve on the beach, which is super fun. So, and we usually take them, like we go whitewater rafting, um, we go zip lining, we go hiking through the jungle. Um stuff like that. It's pretty remote. We're about three miles from like the nearest town and it's this little surf town. And usually in one evening we all like jog into town and get dinner. Um, So it's it's a lot of fun. And is this
0: just for students who are interested in becoming physicians or is this for pre-PAs, pre-nursing? Is this kind of pre-health everybody?
1: Yeah. So we've done, so we've taken... Um, students from all of those disciplines. I even had a student who wanted to get a PhD in toxicology when it was said and done, um, but wanted to learn like wilderness medicine skills. So I think it draws both pre-health students of all different varieties and um, people who like the outdoors uh, and want to just want to like gain some skills to be safe in the wilderness. And um, it, it does the whole gamut and we sort of work with each student to make sure um, they are getting what they want out of the class met. It's a ton of fun, and I have a ton of fun uh, with the students. You know, um, kind of seeing what their interests are and what they want to do. So,
0: you mentioned some of the advising uh, aspect of it, where you're working on personal statements. So that would tell me that these students are a little bit older, getting ready to apply to medical school. At what, at what age, what year in college should students be looking at doing this?
1: So I think it really depends, honestly, um, because I, I think each student comes in with a different goal. So if you're we've had everyone from, you know, um, first years, I don't know what the first year of undergrad is called now. Um, Freshmen. Yeah. So we've had everyone from first years through seniors, through people who have graduated and are debating going back towards to people who are actually like in different careers and thinking about going back to medicine. Yeah. I, I think it depends on um, when when do you want to sit down and one learn that learn these skills and like get some actual clinical care, knowledge, and the ability to, you know, take care of other people in an emergency. And when do you really want to explore this? Right? So if you're a freshman and you're like a hundred percent, I know I want to go to med school. Um, Maybe the time to do this class is like second or third year um, and kind of get the career counseling and mentorship before you go into applying. If you, you know, don't have any idea if you want to do this or you're like a senior and you're like, eh, what do I want to do next? Um, Then maybe that's the right time to take the class. Like for me, the right time to have taken this class would have been after I graduated, after I quit cocktail waitressing while I was working as a lab tech. Um, That would have been like when it would have been the right exposure for me. So I, I think it's very individual, dependent.
0: You mentioned a scholarship for somebody who may be interested in doing this, but can't afford the tuition How easy is is it to get the scholarship? What's involved with that?
1: So um, they're need-based scholarships. um, And uh, it's it's like uh, I don't do the individual selection. It's essentially like a criteria, like you get X points for this and X points for that um, to try and make it more fair. Um, And so we just have them apply. And we have an administrator that, um, you know, ranks each of their application. It doesn't take long to apply. It's like one page. So, okay.
0: For somebody who may be interested in this now, where should they go to find out more information?
1: So I, I send them to the website. It's w Sorry, Okay, Very it's essentially unique. the shortened Colorado Wilderness Medicine.
0: Yeah, And when's the next class? As we're recording this here and. In- the end of March of twenty eighteen. When's the next class?
1: So May, June. Um, and then we're going to Costa Rica this summer, and then there's a class in August.
0: Awesome. So lots of opportunities so. to get involved. So, Elaine, as we wrap up here, you've you've run the gamut from a non-traditional student to a cocktail waitress. I think you're our first cocktail, probably our our only cocktail waitress we'll ever have on the podcast. Um So now being an emergency medicine physician, doing your, your wilderness medicine stuff and working as an emergency medicine doc, what's, what's been the, um, the biggest takeaway through this whole process for you that you think you can teach the pre-med student listening to this right now?
1: I think when, especially when I was in their shoes, um, I felt like I really had to pursue, um, the things would that would like look good on my application. Like I had to check this box and check this box. And I remember when I was a med student, I told someone I was like, wanted to do emergency medicine. And then I was like thinking about a wilderness medicine fellowship and they, they were like, that's ridiculous. That's, that's like nuts. Um, And so for me, I think, you know, pursuing your passion, like if what you love is wilderness medicine and you want clinical exposure, then, you know, come take our class and then, volunteer with ski patrol. Um, You get, the course does, gives you your CPR certification and your wilderness first responder certification. So, you know, like, and you can get clinical exposure in a pre-hospital setting, you know, through ski patrol. Like, I think the big takeaway is pursue your passions and pursue them aggressively rather than sort of trying to check each box, because you're never going to be happy just, you know, checking each box. Like I did X amount of bench research and X amount of this. There's ways to um, do research through wilderness medicine if that's your passion or through global health if that's your passion. So I I think it's really important to pursue the things that um, really, I guess, spark joy in you.
0: All right, so there you have it again. That was Dr. Elaine Reno. She's actually on Specialty Stories this week as well, talking about academic emergency medicine. So you should go check out Specialty Stories if you haven't already listened to that one as well. If you're interested in the wilderness medicine program, go to Coloradowm.org. Again, ColoradoWm.org to find out some more information about the Wilderness Medicine program. Are you affiliated with a school or know of a school that has a cool program like University of Colorado's Wilderness Medicine Program? Let me know. Shoot me an email, Ryan at Medical school hq.net, and I'll try to get a person on that that knows about that program to talk about that program. My job here is to try to spread as much information as possible. So if there are are amazing opportunities for research, amazing opportunities for going out in the woods, like the wilderness medicine program, let me know. Shoot me an email, Ryan at medicalschoolhq.net. I hope you have a great week. Don't forget if you want to work with me for. Personal statements, extracurricular, editing—even if it's not this cycle, uh, as we're you're listening to this, it's end of March of 2018. Use the coupon code March 2018. That's M A R two zero one eight M A R two zero one eight. All capital letters to save fifteen percent uh, by the end of three thirty one 2018. Hope you have a great week. See you next time here on the pre med years. <laughs>